HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Welcome back to Heritage Radio Network on tour. Coming at you live from the Le Creuset podcast studio at Charleston Wine and Food. We have one of our very favorite people as our guest, surprise guest today. You may not have seen him on the schedule, but we wanted to surprise you. It's Steven Satterfield. Hey, y'all. Hey, y'all. <laughs> hey, Steven. We also have Katie and Eli on the couch with us. Hello, hello. Um, last, you're, you're in a exclusive club of people that have been on our Charleston Wine and Food coverage for three years in a row. Hell yeah, that's great. You did it. Three it's like three. you and Manit and Steve Palmer is coming back. Yes. It's some some yeah. really, really great company. We're already OG. Oh, Robert yeah. Stelling. Your smoking Robert jacket Stelling. is in the mail. We'll send it to you. <laughs> it's, it's monogrammed. Nice. Um, last year, we also did a fun, like, spur of the moment uh, interview with you where Nick Leahy he likes to bring beer from Atlanta because he knows I'm a big sucker for some of the breweries yes. in your lovely city. And we, we tasted did a, a bunch of beers. Yeah, we tasted beers and we talked about what we would pair with them. That was a that lot was of fun. That was fun. Yeah, that's right. So, as people probably know about you, is that you do a, a you do a lot of food festivals. You do a lot of food events. You, I see you in New York. I see you in Denver. I see you all over the place. Um, why why is it important for you to to be at all these fun events throughout the year? That's a great question. First of all, they're fun. <laughs> um, but no, seriously, like it's a great way to see other people in the food community. It's a chance for us to get out of our restaurants for a minute and be in front of a different audience. Um, and any city we're in, we're always dining around and trying new restaurants, which is always exciting for both sides of the parties. Um, but yeah, I think it's just like, it's a kind of a good challenge. You have to MacGyver everything. Like everything's just like a little different. It's a lot of unpredictable things. You have to double and triple check all the details. Um, so yeah. But you often not only are MacGyvering and dealing with the circumstances that just being in this setting creates, but you also sometimes go out of your way to make it more challenging on yourself. Like when you did the waste, uh, the like, uh, food waste dinner for the James Beard Leadership yeah. Awards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk about that a little bit. Okay, so I was asked to um, do a dinner for the James Beard Leadership Awards with the theme of food waste, which was really um, challenging and exciting. And, and we uh, worked a lot of different angles by um, 
we, we went to, like one of the things we did was we went to the uh, Union Square Green Market at the end of the day and got like all the wilted greens and all the things that they, we knew they couldn't sell, but they also didn't want to take back and we got them for like less money and um, some of the second vegetables and things like that. We got a bunch of um, fish cheeks from a place that was breaking down a whole fish and they didn't have a use for them. We were like, we'll take all the fish cheeks. And we did a fish cheek stew. We did um, we did a dish that had um, stale baguette with soaked in uh, green stems that were being tossed. And we, we juiced the green stems and made like a savory French toast with chicken liver, pate, and apple scrap jelly. And like we did all these fun things. And um, I think they were honoring Dan Barber that night, which is a big thrill to cook for him. And he's a big champion of fighting food waste. So something I'm very passionate about. I was honored to, to be able to do that. And then we also do the um, the Zero Waste Family Meal at Slow Food Nations. Which is much bigger scale yes. than the James Beard. Exactly. What about the format for that one? So I actually pitched this idea to them. Um, because Slow Food is so responsible about good, clean, and fair, and um, I've, I've seen so much unfortunate food waste at food festivals because there's not like a avenue for them. There's not a, a, a thought about how it's going to be handled. Um, and a lot of festivals are getting a lot better about that. And you can see like all the compost stations here now in Charleston, which is fantastic. Um, but I was like, why don't we save all the scraps from every event? And we'll talk to the farmers at the market if they have like overripe fruit or bumper crop or something. And we thought we kind of brainstormed all these different angles. And we collected a ton of waste, and we had 10 or 12 chefs, chefs interpreting that waste into new dishes the last day of Slow Food Nations, which is a three-day food festival and, and uh, leadership conference. And it was really magical. And I, I remember um, Richard McCarthy, who was the um, executive director at the time, came up to me and said, this is the most slow food event we've ever done. And I, I thought it was a very flattering thing to say because... It really was tied into the ethos of the of the international organization and everything that they stand for. So n now this summer will be the third year in a row of the Zero Waste Family Meal, which um, I'm going to co-lead again. And it's really um, a very rewarding experience because it's very bonding for all the chefs to see the stuff get turned into something tasty again. And it's, it's a lot to think about because you can take some of these ideas and utilize them in your kitchens at home or at your restaurants and turn, you know, scrappy stuff into something tasty. We just have to kind of flip the script a little bit. Cool. So since we're in Charleston, let's talk about where you've been eating around town this weekend. Well, I wish I had more time because there's so many places I want to go to, but um, a few spots I've, I've managed to sit down and eat a meal are um, Fig, which was a, a must. You always must stop at Fig. And it was fantastic, and it was great to see Jason and the team. Um, we had a wonderful al fresco lunch at Chez Nu. It was very impromptu. A bunch of chefs, uh, after our event on Friday, we kind of spontaneously went there and called ahead and got a table outside. Delicious and simple and beautiful. Um, I love hitting 167 Raw, like one of those things where you go right when they open, so you beat the line and you just crush some seafood and like swallow a little rosé and then keep moving. Um, 
And uh, I just did that, by the way, right before this. <laughs> That's the only way to pregame an interview at HR. Exactly. And uh, we also went to the folks from Chenu opened a, a Spanish place, like literally this week. And it's called uh, Malagon. And it was so charming, so delicious, and very hospitable. It was a really wonderful experience. So we've had some great meals. Maybe there's one more in our future before it's over. Um, but we might be eating at the event tonight because there's so many great chefs uh, at Southern Renaissance. Where we're, that's our last event of the weekend. Last one. Yeah. What are you making tonight for Southern Renaissance? So I've been lucky enough to be paired up with Anne Quatrano, who is a fellow Atlantan, Atlanta chef. The queen chef. of Atlanta. Yes, the queen of Atlanta. <laughs> Um, so she and I are old friends. In fact, I used to be an employee of hers and I have a lot of respect for her and she's great to work with. Um, we decided to do a braised greens bar because number one, everybody has been like kind of overdoing it a little bit all weekend. No. So who doesn't want some greens like to finish out the weekend? Hallelujah. And so we're going <laughs> to do like some vegan braised greens with the pot liquor and then they have all these toppings you can put on there, like cornbread croutons or country ham bits or hot pepper vinegar. My grandmother's chow chow. I made the recipe and brought that with me. Um, some, you know, hot sauce, like all the things you would want to put on greens. We're just going to have them lined up there and people can kind of... DIY. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a loaded baked potato, but it's a loaded mess of greens. I love it. <laughs> I'm curious about how you split up your time, and it, it seems like you're involved in so many different projects, and then you're on the road a lot, right, to come to events, and, and, uh, but you have to do it to be visible and support the restaurant. Um, what's your schedule like? For people that are listening, I, I think they want to know, like, how do you find sure. the time, and how sure, do you uh, prioritize? Well, I mean, to be honest, I, I'm really in the restaurant more than anywhere else. So uh, when I'm home and we're open you'll see me there. Um, but, you know, like this is event season, like spring and fall are the, kind of the busier times for, for food and wine events and, and charity events and stuff like that. Um, but the key is really just being super organized. And so I'm, I'm a little stickler about the, the calendar. And you can ask any, any of my sous chefs that share my calendar with me. It's probably very dizzying for them because not only is it, you know, where I have to be and when, but also like... Um, production schedules get thrown on there too. So because we have a restaurant, there's many things that we'll put into a production schedule for a festival. So like all the things that we did when we got off the plane and, and the first two days of the of Charleston were things I brought already prepped from the restaurant. And, you know, we went through and tasted everything and then packed it up and, and got me on my way. And um, that's so much help with the team just behind you knowing that you're, they're going, I'm going to represent them too, not just me. And so it's, it's, a, um, it's a team effort for sure. What's, what's pretty wild about the festival is when people come up to the booth, to the, the kiosk or whatever, to interact with the chef, they don't actually realize that so many of these people have come from other cities with suitcases and coolers filled with their mise en place oh, yeah. or that they've had to steal a prep table in their friend's kitchen and, and yes. prep it that night, right? So exactly. do you have any... It sounds like you're obviously super organized, but have you ever had any missteps when you get to the festival and like someone oh, yeah. was supposed to pack the courts and oh, yeah. it didn't arrive or something? I mean, like there's that? always a problem, so you just have to <laughs> you have to expect there's gonna be a curveball, and like I would say about 10% um, of my court containers broke, 
on the in on the way here. Eli so had you, the same problem. You pack extra because <laughs> you you might spill or break something. So you have to take that like ten percent breakage, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but also, um, you know, you can't. I feel like whenever you're working with a, a second party that's gathering ingredients for you, you have to triple check everything because they have a lot of information coming from all sides, and something could easily slip through the cracks. So. You figure out who your point person is, and then you maybe figure out who their point person is, and then you just set up a, a messaging system of text or email or whatever, mm -hmm. and just keep checking, making sure your stuff's there. If you if you arrive and your event's like a day or two away, but your stuff's in the kitchen, go straight to the kitchen and look at it first, because if there's a problem, you have time to fix it. You go in like the morning of, and everything everything's wrong, you have very little recourse. So it's really just about looking ahead, checking everything, double checking, triple checking, that you have all the things that you need, and then also setting yourself up so you're not doing all the prep while you're at the festivals, because then you're stuck in a kitchen and you're missing a beautiful day like today. You know, you get you get some things done here and there, and then you break and go have a great meal. Because we love food and beverage, right? That's part of what we do. So you want to experience that with other people making it, not just your own. So that's really the key. You've got to find the balance. Yeah. You have like the best approach to festivals, I think. And I think that's, I think some people don't take oh. the care and time to like be prepared to do it. And then they get, I think, burnt out on like the festival circuit. I think that's or they're like a mad very at common. everybody because it's wrong, but you have to take the responsibility. It's your dish and you need to make sure that stuff is there. But you know, the other thing is, um, and, and like, Charleston has been doing this for a long time. They're pretty solid, but, but there are other places where, you know, like a brand new festival, it's their first year, you know there's going to be some hiccups. Don't oh, yeah. don't trust that it's going to go smoothly. Like, there's going to be something that goes wrong, you know? But everybody can work together and make it happen. I mean, Slow Food Nations, it was the first year three years ago, and, you know, some bumpy rides here and there, but it's in the spirit of a good cause. So yeah. if it's, as long as everybody can work together and figure it out, then you make it happen, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, these things are, once you've done a lot, you start figuring out the smart way. But a biggest consideration is the actual dish that you're going to make. Like, don't make something super complex because you're going to kill yourself doing it. And then, you know, is anybody really going to appreciate it on the level that you, the effort you put into it? Do one of the simpler dishes from your restaurant or from your repertoire that still packs a punch, but isn't going to, you aren't going to break your back making that dish. So I have a question about when you choose a dish that you're going to serve at a festival or anything off-site, do you think it's, do you usually always pick something from the menu or do you sometimes like to do things that are just more creative and something that you wouldn't necessarily have on the menu at Miller Union? It, it really depends on the parameters. So like the first event we did when we got here, we straight off the plane, we went to um, the High Wire Distilling Party, which was at the owner's home, Ann and Scott. And so I wanted to serve something that was already being served at the restaurant because I could put it into production. So we have this uh, red pea and vene seed hummus that we serve with raw vegetables and crackers. We already have all that stuff. We just made extra and then I packed it up and I just served it in a little cup with all the, and they were like beautiful produce from one of my local farmers and homemade crackers from, with like a mill that's in Georgia. I mean, everything was like spot on regional and delicious, but and representative of what we do, but it was super simple. And then the other dish was a quail dish because Manchester Farm was one of the quail, uh, was the um, 
uh, one of the sponsors of the event. So every chef was doing a quail dish, and I just went with a, the boneless breast because I knew it would be easy to eat, you know, because it's like you could stick the whole thing in your mouth, it's this big. And I did a, a cold salad of uh, farro beets, grilled spring onion, and a lemon yogurt. And it was kind of just a sorghum glaze on the quail. So it's a little sweet, a little tangy, it's a little filling, kind of healthy. <laughs> Until you see all the butter in the pan. But, um, you know, it's just like one of those things like, okay, well, this is going to be fresh, and it's definitely very Miller Union. You know, it's really representative of us. Like, And it was funny because Ashley Christensen was doing that party. She walked by, and she saw my table getting set up, and she goes, that looks very Miller Union. And I was like, that's the best compliment. Like, well, because you, you, when you're here at, at festivals like this, you want people to really get a sense of the restaurant so that they come visit when they're exactly. in Exactly, and that's the whole point of these things, especially yeah. in a regional festival. You want to get that bounce back. And whenever I'm talking to a crowd or or doing a demo or anything like that, I always tell people like, hey, if you come to the restaurant, tell me that you saw me at this thing. So we know, like we want to know when you come so we can say hey and welcome you to the restaurant. But we also want to know like, was it effective and did we actually get some bounce back? It's hard to measure, but you know, being out and doing these things, it's just good visibility for the restaurant in general. And, we, and our goal is always that you come to Atlanta, you think of Miller Union first. That's what, that's what our goal is. We want you to come to Miller Union first. You can eat anywhere else after that. <laughs> and Stephen, you come at these with a lot of intellectual curiosity and excitement around the food. And you know, you already talked about you know planning it out so that you have time to get out and explore. What are some of the takeaways that you've maybe brought back to Miller Union from like previous? Charleston festivals or slow food, um, any like inspirations that you've walked away with? That's a great question. I think whenever you get a bunch of chefs together, there's always cross-pollination of ideas and you, you'll eat something or you'll see a technique or you'll just talk about things that are bugging you and somebody will offer up a solution that you didn't think of. Like I think we all really help each other out with ideas. And then you take that, you might take an idea that you learned from someone, but you put your own twist on it so you're not straight up ripping it. Or you're gonna say, I'm gonna rip that from you, and they're like, you should, you know, whatever. So, but you know, we, there's a lot of exchange of ideas, and I think it's really great to just have that where, where we can all kind of hang out with each other and learn from each other, and or, or like geek out on some technique together that somebody else is doing or whatever. It's just, a, it's a good, have you seen something specific or tasted something like in the last year? It could be in Atlanta. It could be in another city where it surprised you. It caught you off guard where you were like just so wowed by the technique or the flavor, something maybe you'd never seen before. I mean, I think, I think I'm always impressed with well-executed technique, but what impresses me more and more as I grow as a, as a chef and, and maybe as I'm aging and becoming less adventurous is, uh, I, I really appreciate simplicity and restraint in food, and I think it's harder and harder to find. And um, I, I feel like that's a bolder way to cook because you really can't hide behind anything. So it's kind of a refreshing moment to see something really stripped down. Like, I love King in New York City. I think it's such a great restaurant because of the simplicity and the restraint. And it's like, you order like the fish with the boiled potatoes and the burr blanc and it's literally a piece of fish with boiled potatoes and burr blanc. That's but it's the best version of the fish, it the boiled potatoes and It hasn't and burr been blanc. deconstructed into a modernist exactly. tower. You're yeah, like, yeah, yeah. oh, it's that's just a like piece of fish. Very recognizable, but yeah. very well executed. And, you know, I think some people want to be wowed. They want 
an experience at a restaurant to change their life. And it's funny, I have a, I have a funny story about that. Um, you know, I won the James Beard Award in 2017, and we've been, a, we've been very busy ever since at, at the restaurant at Miller Union. And I, sometimes I think people feel like they're, if they've never been before, they come with these like unrealistic expectations, and they feel like it's gonna be a life-changing meal. And I remember I read a review from a customer, and they were like, I'd heard so much about this place, and I ordered the sauteed greens, and it was just a bowl of sauteed greens. And I was like, yeah, that's what they're supposed that's to That's what be. it said on the and menu. I, so I changed it on the menu, menu to say simple sauteed greens. So there's no, like, there's no pretense to it, whatever. Like, it's definitely gonna be simple, and I'm telling you in advance, so you won't be disappointed. <laughs> That's wow. interesting that the <laughs> that the James Beard Award can be a bit of a double-edged sword in the in the fact that people are going to come. They are your restaurant is going to be the first place they go in Atlanta, right? But also, they may not have read a single thing about it, and they might not know what type of food it is, or not be prepared at all for the yeah. experience. So yeah, and you know, I think that's the it is it's a it is a blessing and a curse, of course. I mean, to win the Beard Award is like every chef's dream in America. Um, but yeah, you get unexpectedly busy. We, we were like always coming from behind that first year, like trying to, we just couldn't keep up with the business. And we were, and I, I talked to a couple of winners before me and I was like, y'all, what is happening? Has this happened to you? And they're like, oh yeah, you're never going to have time to test recipes anymore. You're just going to have to like figure it out on the fly. And I was like, oh my God, this is like not what I asked for. But then you just start realizing, well, how can we work smarter? And then you... You just have to hire a couple more people to adjust to the new normal. And then you get, you know, you just have to start delegating more and figuring out ways to make it all work. And so we, we've been doing that, kind of like growing through some growing pains as we enter into our 10th year of business. So it's pretty exciting to see that we still continue to grow and change and respond to our needs. Yeah. Give you some good advice this year for this year's batch of nominees. Yeah. Yeah. To pay Absolutely. attention yeah. to. Is there anything else that you would advise somebody who's like on the nominee list to, to prep for? I mean, it's tough. I think everybody responds to it differently. Like, I don't like to write a speech. I prefer to just be spontaneous. Um, I think some people really need to do that because you get so jittery and like, it's so nerve-wracking when they when you get down to your category and it's like five names and all your names come up on the screen. You don't know which one they're going to call. Nobody knows except for the committee. You know, it's just a, it's just it's really like intense. And I was <laughs> up up there five times, five years in a row, not knowing if I was ever going to win. So um, that la the moment I actually won, I was in such shock because I'd gotten so used to losing. I didn't think it was going to happen. Um, <laughs> But you know what's you know what is some, one of the coolest rewards of being a James Beard um, recipient is being able to vote. You get a ballot and you can choose the next generation of winners, and it's just really it's very exciting to see those names and so many of the people you know and you're you know you've tasted their food and you're so proud to see them on that list. And you're rooting for certain people and. Sometimes you're rooting for all of them. You know, the Best Chef Southeast category is so hard for me because I'm friends with everybody on it. And, you know, it's like they're all, they all are deserving to be on that list. So it's luck of the draw at some point, you know. Everybody wants everyone else to win kind yeah. of in a way. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think I have a last question for you. I'm going to be in Atlanta in a couple weeks. Obviously, Miller Union is 
first in my mind. But See? It works. It works. <laughs> You're here. <laughs> I'm uh, here. She wants to know uh, exactly what's not going to be on her dish when she orders from the menu. Yeah, yeah. She's looking for a surprise, uh, life-changing don't dish. don't get don't get too uh, crazy about the greens because they're just you know simple they're salty simple, greens. Okay. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, so hopefully I'll see you there. But also, is there anywhere else in Atlanta that you're eating at right now that you're really enjoying? Um, it's hard to pick Atlanta favorites because the the dining landscape's changing so much, and I haven't been out to a lot of new places. Um, but, you know, Nick Leahy's spot's right across the street from us. That's on my list for sure. Uh, and also one of um, uh, Steve Palmer's spots is one across the street from us, too. So Which one is that? Is Donetto. that Donetto? Um, so two of your interviewees are, you know, right there. Um, you know, I live in Inman Park, so I kind of tend to stick to my neighborhood when, when I'm off. Um, I really like One-Eared Stag. Mm-hmm. It's a great restaurant. It's been there for a long time. Um, they use a lot of the same farmers that we do, but it's interesting presentation and flavor profiles. Um, I go, I mean, I go to Freedy and get pizza like almost every Sunday night. It's really more of a neighborhood place, but it's great pizza. Um, I don't know. It's, I don't get to get out that much. Terry Koval's Wrecking Bar is in my yeah. neighborhood. It's a great place. And he's, he's a good man. Um, those are, those are a few. Cool. Thanks for the recommendations. Yeah, and Ann Quatrano and her Star Provisions, yeah. you know, it's so, so so cool where they moved to. And definitely, like, a great foodie spot to hit just to see that mm-hmm. deli counter yeah. and grab a sandwich. And I think they I think they do the um, the waffles. They do, like, the sourdough waffles on Saturday. Do they still do that? Ooh, anyway, I had one once. It was great. I don't know if they still do it. It was yum. worth it. She's opening a breakfast spot in Pond City Market, too, soon. Oh. Yeah, yeah, I love going to Pond City and Krog. They're... Yep. Great, great markets in Atlanta. Lots of great food in Atlanta. I'm excited to be there in a couple weeks. Hopefully I'll see you again. Sounds good. Okay. All right. Thanks, Stephen Satterfield, our Thank three-time you. guest at Charleston One and Food for joining us. Uh, thanks to Katie and Eli for hanging out. We'll be right back in just a few minutes with Matthew Rayford and Javon Sage. That's going to be a great one, so stay tuned. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food Radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.